feels better. All right, for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the different churches uh, from the book of Revelations and the message uh, that the Spirit of God had for these churches. And it is my hope that you're able to hear what God is saying both to Mount Hope uh, and to you as individuals as well. Uh, it is my hope that you are in tune to the Spirit of God uh, and the nudging of the Holy Spirit as we kind of journey through these uh, scriptures. Uh, I just want to show you this slide. Uh, this is a slide of the ancient Near East. Uh, this is pretty much the entire Roman kingdom, uh, if you will. Uh, that is what it looked like when the Romans uh, reigned uh, during the time where the book of Revelations was being written. Uh, if you can go to the next slide, uh, you can see that little red circles, two circles. Can you all see that? Yes, right in the middle in the corner. Uh, that's Jerusalem. That's where we kind of hear all the stories of Jesus and all that. And to the north of that is where we have been kind of parked ourselves in that area. So the first church that we looked at was Ephesus, and then it was Smyrna, and then the church of Pergamum. Uh, so the church of Pergamum was a distinguished city in all of Asia. It was one of the best. Uh, and the way the city was built, it was built on a hill that was shaped like a cone. And as you walked through this beautiful city, you could see all the valleys that were surrounded by it. The Greek word for Pergamum means citadel. And, uh, and it, this city was synonymous to Greek civilization and spirituality. See, as you entered the city and went into the upper chambers, you saw this beautiful altar that was dedicated to the god Zeus. Uh, and if you can go to that slide, Matt. <clears throat> so that's how it looked. You looked over the entire city and it was absolutely beautiful. The city was the epicenter for all pagan and cultic practices. Uh, Pergamum, there were a couple of major gods that was just not Zeus. There were a couple of other gods as well, and these gods where Zeus was one. Um, Athena was another one, it's a female goddess. And Asclepius, Asclepius was associated with healing, uh, and you can see them there. Uh, and this guy was associated with healing, and people would travel from around the area in hopes of being healed by this Greek god. They would travel along and come there. So that's kind of what the city was all about. One of the things that the angel of the Lord says to this church is, I know where you dwell. That's really key before we understand the message to this church. I know where you dwell. This statement is really unique to this church. For all other churches that were addressed, the two that we looked at in the uh, past couple of weeks, for the church of Ephesus, uh, this is where the angel said, I know your works. I know what you do to the church of Ephesus. To the church at Smyrna, we looked at it last week, we read... I know your tribulation. I know the challenges that you are going to. And then we're going to be looking at these other seven churches, right? The church of Trida. Again, the Spirit of the Lord looks at them and says, I know your works. To the church in Sardis, I know your works. To the church in Philadelphia, I know your works. To the church in Laodicea, 
I know your work. So geographic location is really seems to be significant for this church. See, this church is surrounded by pagan worship. So this church is worshiping the living God, but it's surrounded by pagan worship. There are so many pagan influences that are like pouring into the church. And everything the church stands for is against the pagan worship. You know, for example, let's look at this guy, uh, Asclepius. If you can put that up, slide it back up. Can you see in the corner, uh, that guy, he's got a serpent in his hand. Right? He has a, he's holding a serpent. And people from all over the known world would come to the city in hopes of being healed by this God. But when we look at the Gospels... We see that Jesus is a healer. Jesus is the one who came into this world so that we can be healed, so that we can be whole again. That was the promise that, is, that comes to us through the person of Jesus. So you can already see that there is tension between what the church believes holds to be true and what the culture around it was. And further, if you look at that particular image again of that Greek God, you can see that he has a serpent. And if you read Genesis 3.15, we see that Jesus has come to crush the head of the serpent. That Jesus has come to crush the head of the serpent. So the religion of, that surrounds the town of Pergamum and the beliefs of Christians were completely in conflict with each other. They're completely in conflict with each other. I know where you live. That's what the Spirit of God is saying to those in the church of Pergamum. And this church faced a lot of persecution. In 20, uh, 29 Common Era, uh, there was a, a temple that was built for Augustus, uh, Caesar Augustus. And temple worship and emperor worship was kind of synonymous. They kind of went hand in hand together. And so this is how emperor worship would have happened. So there would be Roman soldiers walking the streets. They would be kind of walking around here and there and all over the place. And they would just at random pick somebody up and they would throw some figs on the ground and they would light a match and smoke would come out and they would say, come here, kneel down and say, hail Caesar. And that was it. And you had a choice as a Christian. Would you bow down and say, hail Jesus and walk free? I mean, hail Caesar and walk free? Or do you say, Jesus is Lord? This was not a big test. It was just a common test. It was that simple. It was that simple between life and death. So there was this one guy called Antipas. He was called, he was picked out on the street side. And the soldiers put him down and said, Hey, all you got to do is just, you know, say, Hail Caesar, get the smoke, put your knees down, go home. And Antipas said no. He said no to that. He said, no, I'm not going to proclaim that Caesar is Lord for Jesus is my Lord. And because he said, like we read in history, that he was actually martyred for his faith. He was taken to this... Uh, he was, he was martyred. He had to make that difficult choice between life and saying yes to the world that surrounds him. And he said yes to Jesus. 
He said yes to Jesus. So how does this relate to us living in the United States? The story of Antipas. We are certainly not threatened with life or death decisions when it comes to our faith. How are our churches similar to the church in Pergamum? I think the question for us this morning is, are we willing to stand up for Jesus? Are we willing to hold our Christian identity in a culture that is so filled with compromises? Are we willing to stand up and say, no, as a Christian, this is what I do? Are we willing to be counter-cultural, focusing on the culture of Christ and not the culture of the world? I want you to think about this for a minute, about your own Christian identity, and think about a time where you might have stood up for Christ. When you might have stood up for Christ, and what were some of the repercussions? Maybe you stopped someone from spreading gossip. Maybe they were saying some unkind things about a person behind their back, and you said, you know what, that's not, that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. Or maybe someone was making some racist comments and you said, you know what, we shouldn't be talking about, about people like that. We're all created by God. We're all called to love each other. When we do that, friends, when we do that, we hold on to our Christian identity because it's very uncomfortable in those places, in those situations. But we are called to hold our Christian identity. That's what we're called to do. And that's what this guy Antipas did, even if it cost his own life. That's what we're called to do. So after affirming the stand that this church has taken, the Spirit of God has some really harsh words against this church. This is what we read. But I have a few things against you. I have a few things against you. Revelations 2 14, hear these words, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak and put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. See, the church is accused of doing two things here. The church is accused of eating food that's offered to idols and sexual immorality. And the story that this is referring to is from the book of Numbers. If you look at book of Numbers, chapter 25, verses 1 through 9, here you have the story that this particular, uh, the Spirit of God is referring to that story that took place. How many of you have ever read Numbers, the book of Numbers? Oh, come on. There are a lot of numbers, right? Have you ever read it? You should. If you're ever trying to having trouble with insomnia, open the book of Numbers and just um, the Spirit of God will do wonders for you. It's 20 this and 35 that and 15 this and 18 that, right? But the book of Numbers, right? It's one of the first five books in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? The first five books. And what is the first five books about? The central story of those five books is about what God did for the people of Israel. The people of Israel were in slavery for 400 years and God shows up and God delivers them. 
God brings them out and he says, I'm going to take you to a promised land and all you got to do is follow me. And God gives them an identity. and God gives them laws. The laws that were written in those five books, were, it's all about identity. Literally, you can like drop them in three big buckets, if you will. There are some civil laws that were part of that. How do we as human beings live together as a community? There were some ceremonial laws, how to clean ourselves, what to eat, what not to eat. And then there were moral laws. And this was part of their identity. This was part of their identity. This is who these people were. And in Numbers, we see that the Israelites were camped at a place called Shemite. And the people sinned against God. They practiced. They ate food that was offered to idols. They practiced sexual immorality. They led away. They led away and started worshiping Baal instead of the living God. Just in numbers. Like, think about that. We find this story in the book of Numbers. We don't find this story in the book of Kings. We find this in the book of Numbers. And what is crazy to me is God just rescued those people. He said, I'm going to free you from being enslaved. I'm going to take you to a promised land. And as they were walking towards the promised land, they walked away from what God did. And we're starting to worship other gods. I wonder sometimes if this is us. We see God's power of how God delivered us, how God showed up in our lives and how God rescued us. We say hallelujah and then we start walking and we allow the dominant culture to influence us in the way we act, in the way we do things. And the Spirit of God is saying, no, don't do that. Don't do that. So this church in Pergamum is accused of sexual immorality. Here people have engaged in practicing temple worship, if you will. And there's, uh, they were so heinous. They were so heinous and so abhorring. <laughs> is, there's a term given to the city. It's called Satan's throne. Satan's throne. Can you imagine the immoralities that are present in the city and how easily good Christian church members would have fallen prey to the temptations that were so prevalent in that city. And the word of God condemns these church members for being part of culture and it's calling them to repent from its sin. It's calling them to be repent from their sin. And if you're wondering, okay, what does this mean? What does sexual immorality mean in this, in this town, in this context? This was part of temple prostitution or temple worship. Young people were taken in as slaves, both men, boys, and girls. They were imprisoned in these temples. And they lived in captivity. Innocent individuals were being violated. And some Christians were taking part in those acts. And what the saddest part about this whole story is as these people are being exploited, the ones who made profit from that were the temple authorities, made money out of that, of exploiting the vulnerable and the innocent. 
again, for the church in America, what do we say to this? I don't want us to assume that this no longer exists in, this, in our world, that this happened, this heinous deeds happened many years ago, and it is not true in our current society. Recently, I heard um, uh, the head of International Justice Missions, and he talked about um, human trafficking being one of our biggest challenges that we as global citizens face. And he made the stunning remark that human trafficking, human trafficking leads to about $150 billion a year. That is heinous. And the more I think about this, I wonder what the angel of the Lord would be saying to us today, to the church today with regards to human trafficking. How might we be champions for those innocent, poor individuals who are being exploited? What is it that we can do? What is it that we can do? If you are interested in this and if God is sparking something inside you, I would recommend that you would go to that website and learn a little bit more about what all is involved in this. So the next charge against the church of Pergamum is um, that they were eating food that was offered to idols. See, during these festivities, when they went to temple worship and they were there, animals would have been sacrificed and they would eat food that was offered to that particular deity. And these people are told, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. As Christians, you're not allowed to consume food that is offered to idols. And the word of God chastises the Christians for doing this. See, this, uh, growing up in India, this kind of made sense to me. Um, these are some of the Hindu gods that, um, that a lot of my friends were part of. Uh, there's Ganesh, there's Krishna, uh, sorry, Shiva, and there's Lakshmi. There are three gods that are there. And each god is celebrated during a certain holiday. And my friends um, uh, back home would uh, bring different foods that were offered to these idols. And they would say, happy, whatever the holiday was. And they would give. And they smelled so delicious. They were really good food. But here's what my mom would say. My mom said, you can't eat that. Because that was food that was offered to the idols. And we would be very polite. We would have a smile on our face. And we would say, thank you very much. And we would hang on to it. And we would throw it away. Even as a young adult, I don't ever remember eating food that was offered to idols. It was just part of my Christian identity, if you will. But what does this mean for us? Like, what do I teach my kids about not eating food to idols? Certainly, my neighbors are not giving us food offered to idols. I, actually, they're not giving us any food. I mean, we live in a cemetery, so <laughs> I'll be here next week, right? <laughs> Like, but, but what, is, what is this? What is our application here? What is our application? What do we do with that scripture that says, don't eat food offered to idols while we're living in the United States? And we don't have Hindu gods that people are worshiping to and giving us food. What do we do with that? Friends, I would argue that this is about a moral implication. We are called to be mindful about what we are, what we consume. 
what we consume. It is important that we are not taking part of things that belong to the wider culture, but we are consuming things that are from God. I think this city was called Satan's throne because it had infiltrated into the church. The church was consuming things that were part of the culture. There was a group called Nicolaitans. And Nicolaitans had a different kind of a gospel that they were preaching in this church. In the church of Pergamum, they were preaching a gospel of compromise. They said it's okay for church, it's okay for good Christian people to celebrate and go to the altar of Zeus. It's okay for Christian people to be sexually immoral. It is okay for Christian people to be eating foods that are offered to idols. While at the same time, you can come to church and worship the living God. That's what these guys were saying. That's what these were saying. That's what this message was all about. And the angel of God is saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. This morning, I want to offer two things for us to consider when it comes to consuming stuff that is that the culture around us that is feeding us. My daughter, Samara, recently fell in love with baseball. She and I followed NFL a lot. We would talk about sports a lot. I know I talk about sports all the time with you guys. But this, is a, this has been a recent development. For whatever reason, my girls love to watch sports with me. My boys couldn't care less. Anyway, that's a different story for another day. So, Samara started watching baseball a little too much to a point where she actually can give player stats in a course of a conversation. She's like, oh man, I can't believe they put this guy on. He like missed blah, 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 blah. It's like, how the heck do you know? I'm proud of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm very proud that my 13-year-old daughter can do the work of a Phillies manager. <laughs> She's applying for that job. Right? And then recently we noticed something else that has shifted in her. Our family schedule, for whatever reason, is revolving around the Phillies. It's like, we're going to Mimi's house. Oh, we can't go at 4 o'clock. I was like, why? We have to go to Mimi's house. The Phillies are playing. It's like, Sam, we got to go to the pool. Sorry, I'm not coming. 1 o'clock, the Phillies are up. I was like, stop. <laughs> she loves the Phillies. She fell in love with the Phillies, which I'm grateful for again. I'm glad it's the Phillies and not the Yankees, right? And she is consuming a lot of Phillies. And then something else happened. Not only is she watching and coding the stats and stuff like that, she watches the pre-game show and the post-game show. And these all these talking heads that are there, right? And this is what the talking heads, I can give it to you in a, in a, in a, in a sentence or two as to what they say. Phillies stink, they're inconsistent. And then you watch the game and say, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? That's what Samara is consuming. And this morning, I want to ask us this. What is that you are consuming on a daily basis? Is what you are consuming in your life, is it drawing you close to Christ? Or is it further taking you away from Christ? And I want you to invite the Spirit of God and ask that question to yourself. How is it that you're spending your day? What is it that you are taking in 
from the culture that surrounds you? What are you constantly consuming? And is that action bringing glory to God? Or is it further taking you away from God? Friends, the core message of the church of Pergamum is a call to holiness. The church is called to be holy. Not be quick to compromise, but to be holy. Holy means to be set apart. The church is called to be set apart for the sake of the gospel. And here is a question I want us to struggle with today, tomorrow, and every day. How are you different from your neighbor in your community? How are you different from your colleagues? Because the church of Christ is called to be set apart. Are you set apart today? Let us pray. A God who calls us to be holy, a God who is mindful of what we consume, God, we ask that you, our spirit, would come upon us that you would give us the strength that you gave to your servant Antipas who stood and said no to worshiping the things that were so prevalent in his culture. Help us to stand up for you and to declare our Christian identity. We ask these in your name. Amen.